When Jesus came, he changed everything. Changed everything for the early church, for the followers of Jesus, including their worship. They would still go to the temple, and in the temple courts, they would gather, Acts 2 says. But understand that in that setting, in the temple courts, they were kind of now outsiders. They're a part of this faith that's still making sacrifices, but now they've come to realize Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all time. It changed what they did in the temple. And so in order to worship this Jesus, since not everyone in the temple understood Jesus, what would they do to worship? The, the text says in Acts 2 that they would day by day not just gather in the temple courts, but they would sit in their homes and they would worship and they would break bread together. They pulled up the couches and the extra seats. They pulled the chairs from around the dinner table and brought it into the living room. They made space and they pushed the coffee table back. They hid the TV in the armoire so that the rest of the community wouldn't know how much they binge watched. They made space in their homes and with glad hearts they gathered there and they worshiped because it was in their homes that they could raise the name of Jesus without the Jewish community being upset. It was in their homes in the intimacy of these gatherings that things got real and they were rich. We've been over the past few weeks looking at the faithful presence of the Acts 2 church, how they operated, the ways in which they operated that, that garnered them awe and wonder in the community and favor to the point that the Lord was adding their number day by day. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been exploring Acts chapter 2, this little passage with the ingredients given to you and I for how to be a faithful presence in our community too. And today we're going to look at this passage one final time. We're going to look at one final ingredient and we want to have a conversation about what it looks like tangibly, physically. What does it physically look like for you and I to be the hands and feet of Jesus, a faithful presence in our community? So grab your Bibles, head there with me, Acts chapter 2. We're going to spend a couple of minutes in Acts 2 together pulling out one more ingredient and then I'm going to introduce you to three friends who are living this out well. And we're going to have a conversation today about what it looks like in their life and what it could look like in ours. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And Luke, the author of Acts, writes this. And they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This passage has been our guide over the past few weeks, exploring what it looks like to be a faithful presence. What are the ingredients? Week one, we saw the ingredient is that the fruit of faithful presence flows out of devotion 
personal devotion to Jesus, loving devotion to one another. If you long to see fruit in your life, fruit in your family, fruit in your marriage, fruit with your neighbors, fruit in your neighborhood or in your community or with your coworkers, Luke says the first ingredient is that fruit comes out of your faithful presence with God, pursuing Jesus fully, loving others deeply. That's where it begins. Then in week two, Gabe DeGarmo, our church planter who's now serving in New Braunfels, came and he talked to us about this second ingredient, these three practices that we see in the text the church was doing. They had inquiry, they had imagination, they had incarnation, which is to say they were present with their neighbors, they were asking questions, digging into the stuff of life, they had a redemptive imagination for what Jesus could do in these people's lives, and they were just present, incarnate with them, just as Jesus had been present, incarnate with, with themselves. But today I want to talk about one final ingredient, true of them, and it needs to be true of us too, if we're to be people of a faithful presence. And the ingredient that we see that we haven't yet pulled out from the text is one of unwavering generosity. Unwavering generosity. We see this in verses 44 and 45. All who believed were together, had all things in common, were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now Luke is writing this and giving us insight into this, and he notes that this is what set them apart. This is what made people take notice of them. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, of course, yeah. Here we go. Another sermon about generosity from the pastor. What is it with pastors and generosity, right? Like, I didn't sign up for a generosity sermon. I think generosity gets a bad rap in the church. Because anytime we hear generosity, we instantly think money. More than that, anytime you hear generosity, you instantly think your money. Am I wrong? But generosity is so much more than this. There's multiple facets of generosity in the early church. And only one has anything to do with their resources. So let's look at the text. Because there's a faithful presence in unwavering generosity that if you and I really want to see our community gravitate to Jesus with awe and wonder and the Lord do this kind of thing here and now as he did then, it's going to take some of these ingredients. The first kind of generosity we see is the generosity of availability. The generosity of availability. Look at the text. Four times in these six verses, I could argue more, but, but four times in these six verses, Luke shows that there's a generosity of availability. He began saying they were devoted to fellowship, verse 42. They were together, verse 44. Day by day, attending temple and breaking bread in each other's homes, verse 46. In fact, there's two references to breaking bread together, which in week one we talked about. That's not just communion, that's fellowship that eating and fellowshipping together became intertwined with remembering Jesus and his sacrifice for all of them. Not just me, 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 but all of us together. He loved you enough to save you. And so I'm inviting you into fellowship with me. It's a generosity of availability. It was a constant theme. And this was a community that was generous then with their time. That's what I'm talking about, generosity of availability. Are you generous with your time? We, we view time as a commodity, something to hold on to, something to steward and budget, something to protect from other people who want it. 
The early church viewed time as something to give to those who needed it. Reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, says, we gave you not only the gospel, but our very selves. Generosity of availability. They gave of themselves. Here's the deal. You can't make an impact on your coworkers, on your family members. You can't make an impact on your community, your neighborhood, your cul-de-sac, unless you're willing to give them your time. You can't make an impact on the other parents on your kids' sports league unless you're willing to show up and give time. And that may be time beyond the game. Being a faithful presence says, God, I'm willing to give of my time so that others might see you in me. The second piece of generosity, unwavering generosity, is a generosity of space. Not just time, but verse 44 says they were together, they had all things in common. So here's the question we have to ask in the text. Together where? Together where? Well, the text goes on. It says day by day they were meeting in the temple courts, but then it goes even further and it says they were also in each other's homes, breaking bread together. See, the generosity of space wasn't just that they were generous with their time, it was that they were generous with inviting people into their lives, to, into their space. They made room in their homes. They let put, people put their feet up on their coffee table. They gave people fridge rights. Do you have a friend? Do you have a friend that's close enough that you've given them fridge rights in your home? I'll let you see what's in there. I know, it's disgusting. Right? That's true love. They let people drink their milk, sit in their favorite spot on the couch, they let people disrupt their space, spill on their carpet. The generosity of time is costly because you invite people in and they don't leave on time and your kids stay up and then your kids are a mess in the morning. And you know what that is? That's a gift to Jesus saying, Lord, I have sacrificed even my kids, which means my own sanity tomorrow in order to have these people in my space, but I'm gonna allow my space to be disrupted so that these people might see something in me and experience something in us. The generosity of space is more than just your stuff. It's your family, it's your schedule. And there was a generosity of space. They said to one another, mi casa su casa, except probably in Hebrew, not in Spanish. There's a third generosity in the text, and it's the generosity of resource. If it makes you uncomfortable, buckle up. I didn't say it, the scriptures do. Verse 45, that they sold. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Any, by the way, means exactly that in the text, any. Not just those inside the community, not just the ones they'd given fridge rights to. You've passed the test, I'll be generous to you. No, it means that they were also being generous with those outside of their community of faith. As they were getting to know the needs of the people around them, they were willing to resource those people and their needs. They were willing to, to meet those needs and be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus. Understand in the, in the first century, banking is totally different. In the first century, banking honestly was rare. Unless you were wealthy, 
banking was really rare. Most people then would put their assets into possessions, valuables that they know they could resell in the market or in a moment's notice in order to have some liquid cash. We, we don't do that as much. We, we put it into savings so that hopefully we won't touch it. I think if Luke maybe were writing to the modern day church, he would say of us that maybe we should consider Venmoing each other more often. Maybe we should consider dipping into savings for each other more often. I mean, we don't even want to touch checking for each other, but Luke is saying, no, 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 they're dipping into savings. They're selling the assets that they've been holding on to in order to make sure that other people's daily needs were being met. There's a generosity of touching your savings putting off a vacation for a little bit longer because you're trying to meet the need of someone that God's put in front of you. And it's not just your friends inside the church. It's those in your community that you've been trying to reach, that you're choosing to be tangibly generous with, that they might see the love of Jesus through your hands and your feet. It makes us uncomfortable, right? It makes us uncomfortable to think that way. We don't even like giving money to our own kids, let alone our neighbors or our coworkers. But here's the deal. Jesus made it really clear that following him is costly. That's not a popular thing to say on a Sunday morning when you want people to come back next week. But following Jesus is costly. The life that you've signed up for or the life that you're looking at and considering signing up for is costly. Because Jesus modeled it with his own life. He gave everything was generous with time and with space, was generous with his whole entire life. Generosity in following Jesus may cost you friendships with others. It may cost you cool points with kids at school. It may cost you your time. It may cost you inviting people in. It may cost you being around messes that you don't know how to clean up. It may cost you your schedule. It may cost you even your resources as God moves on you to help others. But the Acts 2 church embraced the cost. And the result was that awe came on everyone and the Lord added to their number day by day because they embraced the cost. Faithful presence is costly. The question is, what does it look like tangibly for you and I today in today's day and age? We get the picture from the Acts to church in the first century, but how do we translate these things to a picture of today? So what I want to do is I want to invite three friends to the stage because we don't just want this to be a principle, a pastoral principle that we walk away with from this series. We want this to be the flesh and blood of people who are living this out well. So would you welcome to the stage with me a good friend, Sean Dittman, Sandra Hogue, one of our deacons here at Northeast, as well as Eddie Nava, our creative director at Northeast. And uh, thanks for thanking them as they're coming up. There we go. There it is. We wanted to have this conversation and make it um, more tangible. 
put flesh and blood on, and what does it look like to live as an actual faithful presence? And so we have uh, depictions here. We have faithful presence at work, faithful presence relationally and in, in the neighborhood, and a faithful presence through generosity that was experienced and radically changed someone's life. Sean, you and Amanda are friends of ours. You're in our life group. Uh, you and Amanda own a, a medical practice in the thriving metropolis of Cibolo, and, uh, and man, I can just imagine, and I've heard the stories, right? Like you, that's a busy business. There's patients coming in, there are emergencies, you've got to move and meet all of these needs all day long, and yet you've managed to be a faithful presence there at work. Can you give us a picture? What does it look like to, to be a faithful presence in the workplace? What does that mean to you? How have you done that? And, and what does it look like there? Yeah, so, just turn on. It'll come. First, it starts with me every morning uh, waking up with a million things on my mind, a million things to do. Um, so I have to remember to take a moment and slow down. Mm. We move too fast as a society. So first thing in the morning is I got to get before the Lord. I get on my knees and you know I thank Him for another day, but I, I set my heart's posture towards Him and, and what He might have for that day. And so one of the prayers I have is, Lord. Help me to make a difference in someone's life today. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, Lord, when, when you give me that opportunity, give me the courage to step through. Mm-hmm. Because in a busy medical practice, you know, sometimes I only have 10, 15 minutes with a patient. And if God gives me an opportunity with someone, things are going to slow down. Yeah. So I have to be, have the courage to, to step through that and, 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 and to be ready for what God may have. Be, yeah. be available um, be aware of what's going on in someone's life. And it's, it's, it all starts with slowing down. Wow. And then I imagine you do get that moment when God's like, hey, here's a person and here's a need and he's nudging your heart. Um, man, medical practice is kind of formal. You've got to be a professional. How do you, in the midst of professional moments, how do you, not just slow down, but how do you turn a conversation to spiritual things without offending or being awkward or whatever that looks like, but you're there in this, I'm picturing it, this little room, they're sitting on the little paper thing, right? <laughs> and, and how do you turn the conversation from an injury or a recovery to something spiritual without being awkward? So that's a great question. Uh, first is I remember my prayer from the morning, God's going to make something happen. Uh, and so being aware of that, remembering that Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so just like in fishing, if you're loud and obnoxious, you're not going to catch any fish. You have to be ready for the right moment, for the right opportunity. And recently I had a, a, a male come in. He was 45 years old. And he's, I said, you know, how can I help you? What are you here for today? And he says, I'm terrified of dying. Hmm. That was how he started. And so to me, that was, okay, Lord, this, this is maybe the one or two that I have for today. And so I addressed his needs in the natural. You know, we went over his risks of heart disease and so on and so forth. But I said, you know, I'm really concerned with the comment you made. I said, let me tell you some good news about how you don't have to be afraid to die. Hmm. And I shared the gospel with him and the hope of Jesus that morning. Took a little bit more time, but he was, he was in need of it. He was ready. He was a fish ready to bite. He just needed hmm. the, right, the right bait you know, for that, for that moment. So being aware of what's going on when God's moving, when he's not, and then the courage to step through it. That is a daily thing. I have to remind myself every morning that I have a purpose to be a salt and light at work and not just get through the grind of, you know, I got to get through this day and get home. Like 
you know, everybody else, but I have a purpose and be aware of that and be, be ready to go. Mm. Any fishermen in the room? You don't catch a fish by being loud and obnoxious. Church, that'll preach in our culture today. What is, it, what is needed from the church? Sean, so amazing, thank you. Sandra, you have shown time and time again, I've, I've just watched you live out this idea of being um, find, or faithfully present relationally and just inviting people and making the space and the time. Um, talk to us about what you do, what you've seen God bless in that and, and what, what you found that works, that he blesses in order to be a faithful presence relationally. Well, so it started um, years ago. We lived in a house that had a storm door. And so in the very beginning of the morning, I would open up the, my front door and I would close it the very last thing at night. Didn't matter the weather, it didn't matter Whatever was happening, the storm door was closed, but the front door was open. And so um, we had this new lady move in next door, and I introduced myself, and I welcomed her. And she really, like, believed me when I said she was welcome. And so she kept walking to my house all the time. With, she just would walk in. She wouldn't knock. And I had to really um, think about, did I mean what I said when I said she was welcome? Mm-hmm. And... So I had to get my mind right a little bit. And she usually brought croissants, so that was kind of fun because, you know, bread. Um, but so she, she started doing that, and then I've been inviting her kids in and everybody. Um, and so we've been doing that now. We're in a different house, but we have so many people that come in and out of our doors just because they can, and they're welcome. And it's little kids. It's not unreasonable to have five or six extra kids in our house. But intentionally also, as a, as a woman at home, um, my office is my home, and my territory is the world around it. And so we um, have tried to have a house that's open. But, for example, one thing we do is FNFC, and that's Friday Night Fun Club. And it's literally just come on over, you know, let's, let's play games, let's talk, let's hang out. And we've experienced a lot of highs and lows, deaths um, of parents and loss of jobs. And there's, there's magic in that space of having an open house and my kids get to see it which is pretty awesome and they kind of wait around in hopes that they'll be invited to play the game if we play a game but it's been a really special thing most importantly and the most um, that I've seen this year was I had a friend who got invited to um, be part of a lead, lead a group up for women um, and moms trying to raise kids up in a digital age which is scary and she was asking me what I thought about it and I said you have to do it and I have to help you. Um, I just want to be your partner next to you and pray. And so we did this in the neighborhood. And there's other moms in here who are doing the same thing. There's a lot of um, cool stuff that's happening in our neighborhoods. But I, um, I sat with these ladies week in, week out. Not my normal people that I would choose to do Friday Night Fun Club with, for example. Um, and it was really magical. There was tears. And you earned the right to talk to people because you're there. And, and you know, I, there were so many hard conversations we had to have when you're talking about digital, raising kids in a digital age, you're having some pretty hard conversations. And I was, I had to be prayerful because here I am representing Jesus. And it was just so magical. I felt like if I could go into every conversation with a heart prepared, because I had been so prayerful about some of these conversations, 
Man, God would just move mountains in my relationships with people. Hmm. Anyway, so then the study ended, and they were like, we're not done, we're not ready. And I said, well, I have this discipleship program, and four of the ladies decided they wanted to join me. And so now I get to continue through the spring just... It's so fun just um, getting to know people from different communities, churched, unchurched, you know, different backgrounds. It's really incredible. Amazing. Amazing. Um, You do such a good job of making people feel welcome no matter who they are. And, And so I'm curious, how would you coach us to go beyond the surface in conversations um, and, and to kind of try to get into try to make people feel comfortable enough to open up about their lives. Well, the first thing you have to do... We might give you another mic here. It's hard to understand. We're working on it. Is that better? Yeah. That's why you weren't laughing at my jokes. So... The first thing you have to do is you have to smile and you have to show people your eyeballs and that creates space and time. And like you said, it slows it down and it creates a holy place where they matter. It's like Mr. Rogers. I mean, he wanted to be a neighbor to you and to me. And so I always try to be like him except that I'm more like um, Animal from the Muppets because I'm, I'm an extrovert. And so I love people and I want to look at all of you, but I'm going to look at you. Um, and so I think it's creating that time, but also it's um, saying yes. It's saying yes to opportunities to be in a Bible study. It's saying um, yes to, if you're an introvert and an extrovert locks eyes, it's saying yes and saying, let's go for this adventure. Let's be creative and see where, you know, this talk can take us. And asking hard questions, being willing to ask a hard question and being ready to listen. Mm. Generosity with time, with your schedule, with space, with what that may mean, with all the other patients stacked up behind. And then there's just incredible generosity of resource. Eddie, your life was profoundly changed because people were incredibly generous in a moment of great need. Tell us a little bit about that moment in your life. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, for those that don't know, it's probably by design. Uh, I am an immigrant. Uh, my family uh, and I migrated here from Mexico um, when I was, I believe I was 10. Um, and there was a longer story there, um, but really what opened the door for us to come was um, there was a pastor, uh, pastoring a small church on the west side of San Antonio. Um, the name of the church, uh, ironically enough, is Dios es Amor, which means God is love. Um, and we showed up to this church, uh, again, like nothing to our name. We had sold um, every, whatever little we had uh, back in Mexico, so there was nothing to go back to. Um, and we came here really on obedience, right? Like my dad um, had prayed and fasted for many, many months and, and, and was acting on obedience, what he felt God was calling him to do. Um, and so when we got here, um, there was nothing for us um, other than we have a church to go to, and that mattered. Um, and so we, I remember one day, um, this pastor walks us to this room um, and it was a very small room. Um, I mean, much, much smaller than 
than even just these three platforms, it feels that way. Um, and I remember like we walked into this room that he had prepared for us. Um, and he opened this room and there was one king size mattress uh, for my sister and I, my mom and dad to share. Um, and a small couch, probably a little smaller than this loveseat. And, um, and then there was uh, a small TV that was made of wood. That's crazy. Uh, and, I, and I remember he's showing us around this place, um, apologizing to us that he couldn't do more. Um, and meanwhile, like, my family and I are, like, in tears, right? Because to us, this was everything. Um, and we had nothing. And, man, like... He was apologizing that they couldn't have done more, and what had happened was that like he had gathered um, some of, some of the people from the church, um, and they had shared of whatever little they had. This is a very low income, low resource church, and they had pulled together um, this little apartment for us and furnished it. And um, there was plates and cutlery and a full fridge, um, and there was a fridge first of all. <laughs> um, and man, I remember so much, like so vividly, um, just that, uh, that display of love and generosity towards our family um, when we had nothing um, to offer, um, when we probably didn't deserve it. Um, and, and man, that church showed up for us. Mm. Um, and, and that meant the world. And, and it shaped so much of who I am today um, just because of the faithful presence of, of that church yeah. then. I've heard you tell the story. They, they showed up beyond that even many times over. You were given a vehicle. They helped you find work. They helped process paperwork with you um, through the course of time, just walking this long road. And now your father's in ministry. You're in ministry as a result of this incredible act of love. Um, talk to us as a church, putting flesh on it, like the things that stand out to you that, were, that have so shaped your life and your heart now. Um, man, what are those things and those lessons that you would pass on to us that, that God would call us to do? Um, I'll say it this way. Like, when you've encountered um, the love of Jesus um, in such a powerful and such a tangible way, that changes how you serve, and that changes how um, you view this whole Christianity thing, right? Like, now it matters. Um, because not only are you indebted because there's been a saving grace that has been expressed to me, right? And that has, man, like, my soul is now saved and have eternal life. But, man, it goes beyond that, right? Like, that the Bible, it really is true, all parts of it, right? Like, if, if the Father has dressed the lilies of the field in this way, then he cares for me that way. I know that that's true. Um, and it changes how I serve. It changes how, um, how, I, how I interact with people changes. Um, there's an intensity behind, uh, behind this whole thing. And I can tell you this, like in my late teens, I came to really question my faith, like really heavily. Um, and I'll tell you, like, I could question everything, but what was undeniable was like that what I had encountered was Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a tangible version of Jesus that was displayed through these people that chose to be in my life and to be in my family's life, that chose 
to um, go the extra mile and take us to appointments and to drive me to school and to help my parents get driver's licenses and to start the immigration process for us. And not only that, right, but like created family relationships and there was people that became grandparents to me when I didn't know if I would ever see my grandparents again. Um, and it was that choice, right, that they chose to be there um, because of this Jesus that they had experienced was so real to them. Um, man, now that's passed on to me and, and, and there's a reality to the gospel, right, that it's living and active and true um, and should be lived out. Mm. It's not something just to read about. Yeah, incredible. Hey, would you thank my friends for being with us this weekend? As Eddie and I were processing on this this week um, and knowing in a setting like ours, in a state like ours, um, I was cognizant, you know, I wonder how many people in the room now are thinking that we were trying to find a political angle so that we could send some kind of message to you. My, my chief concern has been a biblical angle that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus, regardless of what you think of the stories Every single one of us has been in a position where we've looked at someone in need and we said, well, if I give to them, I don't know that they'll use it well. When we're sitting at the, the stoplight and we see someone with a sign and we're like, yeah, but if I, if I give to him, it'll probably go to X, Y, or Z. And in those moments when we have the opportunity to live out as a faithful presence tangibly through unwavering generosity, we, we often sit and have an internal dialogue about whether it's worth it, whether they will use it well. And can we just pause and consider for a moment that Jesus went to the cross knowing that we would not use his grace well? And can we just pause for a moment and acknowledge that Jesus still thought that you and I were worth it? The prodigal children who ran from the Father were worth it, even though we would abuse his grace. That we had done everything wrong, we were worth it to him. And so God, in unwavering generosity, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the tangible presence of the Father, that we might know what the Father looks like, that we might know the Father's heart by seeing touching him and Jesus came and he gave of it all because it's costly to give and so as we close today we want to reflect on the life of Jesus we've already changed everything else in this service so why not change the ending too we're not going to sing a song we're not going to dismiss that way we're going to remember the sacrifice of jesus as we do what the early church did in acts 2 they paused and they gathered together and they broke bread the body and the blood of jesus paul and corinthians write to the church and he'd say for i give to you what was given to me that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with the disciples and taking the bread of the Passover, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken and sacrificed for you. Let's take and let's eat 
in memory of him. And then taking the cup, Jesus held it and he said this, this cup is a new covenant, a new covenant I make with you. Covenant of God's faithfulness to his people. Take and drink in remembrance of me. God's charge for us, church, is to take and to go and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That we would not just gather here as the body, but we would be the body there in neighborhoods, in workspaces, in schools. That the aroma of Christ, the flavor of his grace would go with us and we would seek to pass it on. And so church, go, therefore, and make disciples, being faithfully present right where God has placed you, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded you so that he might receive all recognition, all glory, all honor, all praise. And as you go, go knowing that the Spirit has already been given to you to empower you to do everything that he has commanded you to do. You lack nothing. And so may we go and may we be a faithful presence in order to draw many to Jesus. We love you. Thank you for being with us this weekend. God bless. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through these messages, visit nebc.ch contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to this weekly podcast. You can always stay up to date with information about what's going on here at Northeast by visiting nebc.ch mobile or by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples who pursue Jesus fully and love others deeply.